Welcome! You are listening to audio of Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. At ICC, we are being transformed by Jesus to impact our world. Wherever you are as you listen today, we want you to know that we love and appreciate you. We're so glad you're here. We hope today's message will help you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thanks again for joining us. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you guys this morning. Um, uh, My name is Barrett Bowden. I'm one of the pastors here at Island Community Church, and we welcome you uh, to worship this morning. Whether you are part of our church family, um, regular here, or maybe even today, um, you're here for the first time. We're really grateful that you have chosen to join us today and just to seek God together. Um, This week has felt like a lot um, here in Memphis. It has been hard um, and heavy, to say the least. Um, It has felt overwhelming in ways. Um, It certainly felt sad in ways and just complex and confusing in ways. And I know um, personally the journey that I've been on. And while I don't know all the specifics of the journey that you have been on over the last week, I know that um, there's a heaviness and the difficulty that we have shared together um, through this week. I think even those of us who have, who typically are not at a loss for words, um, have found ourselves at times at a loss, just at a loss for words, uh, to try to figure out how to express the roller coaster of events and emotions over the last week. And, and really, it's not just the last week. Um, it's felt like a crescendo over the last week. Um, but it's really been over the last months. I think about Dr. Williams. Uh, of course, we know about Eliza Fletcher. We know the four uh, in this immediate community uh, from this past week. Their names and faces have been published across the news. We know about Yvonne Nelson, the community activist, over the last month. Um, it's just been a lot. Um, And as one of the news anchors that I was watching the other night, I sat on my TV, watching TV. Um, We were trying to coordinate some things because we had a group up here at the church. We went into lockdown and, um, but I was watching WMC5 and I think the quote uh, made its way around uh, Memphis um, as the TV anchor just broke down on live TV. And she just said, we are tired. We are tired. And it's true. It's true for citizens of our city. It's also true for those of us, even as the people of God in this city. There has been so much loss, too much. There has been so much grieving, too many families grieving. It has felt like so much darkness and so much evil. Um, And so you may have heard this already, but in case you haven't, um, we as a pastoral team here at Island Community Church decided, you know, we were planning to kick off a new series today in the book of Romans. And there's just some moments where you just go, you know, let's not, let's not just continue on as if nothing has happened. Let's not just move forward with our plans. Um, This is a moment where we as 
a community and we as a people of God need to just pause and to just give some space to, to be with God and to be with one another and, and, and namely to pray. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 21, verse 13, where Jesus says, um, as he walks into a tabernacle, and he saw a lot of things that shouldn't be there, and he calls out one thing that should be there. And he says, and some of you are familiar with this passage, and I believe we'll have it on the screen. But he says to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, for all people. So if there's anything that we want to be as a church, it's to be a people who desperately depend on God. And in fact, this week, I think it's highlighted um, to us, there's just some moments where we just feel it more keenly than others, but it's highlighted to us this reality that we know, and that is that we desperately need God. We desperately need God. The world is broken and our city is broken, but also each of us are broken and we need the Lord. So what do we do? Where, why do, where do we go? Um, that's why a day like this is so important because in the Psalms, for instance, Psalm 121, starting in verse one, we read how the psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where, where does my help come from? In a week like this, all of us, in moments of crisis, and this week we've all been in crisis in different ways, there are moments where we just go, you've got you to determine, where do you turn? What brings comfort? What brings consolation? And the psalmist is wrestling with this question, where does my help come from? In the middle of this brokenness, where does my help come from? But then he answers it, and he says, my help, I know, comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and of earth. So today, um, what we're doing is we're just going to spend the next hour together um, just going to the Lord, who is our help and our hope. And what we're going to do together, primarily, our focus today will, will just be Jesus, the Son of God, our rescuer, our redeemer, our healer, our hope. And Jesus, right now, wherever you have been this past week and even where you are in this moment, he invites you to trust him. He invites you personally with what you are going through and what we are going through together to trust him. Right here and right now in this moment, for what we are facing to trust him. So we are gonna sing our first song and then we're gonna start into, basically today what's gonna to happen is we have three prayer movements, okay? So each movement, there'll be some worship and there'll be me here, I'll be leading out and some encouragement, some scripture and even some prompts for prayer. We'll have prayer times and then we'll come back into worship and so there'll be three kind of sections like that that we as a pastoral team have prayed through today. But I just want to give you the words of Jesus even now before we begin singing from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. As Jesus says to you, 
come to me. Come to me. He's not asking you to come to a day of prayer, come to a service or program. Primarily the invitation to you today, come to Jesus. Come to me, Jesus says. All who are labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, I do thank you for your invitation for us to come, to come to you today in this moment of our great need. And I pray, Father, that you would give us comfort and consolation in your presence. We desperately need you. I pray, God, that we would cut through the pretense today and desperately seek you and your heart over our lives, over the church here at ICC, but also the big church in Memphis, but also over this community, this city that we so love. Lord, you are pleased as we cry out to you. This is what you want us to do today. We are your people. We need you. You are our God, and you invite us to come. So, Father, be pleased in our coming to you. We pray. Fix our eyes on Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Let's stand, church, and let's worship together. Begin our time of prayer today by focusing on a time of lament. Our community this past week, um, two words come to mind. One is just broken. And another very uh, realistically is wounded. Not only have we seen physical violence, but there is another kind of violence, a kind of woundedness that happens within us in the face of such evil. Our hearts um, can be wounded. And I think there has been a collective kind of brokenness and woundedness that we have experienced together in the last week, over the last months. With the intense fear, the helplessness, the horror that we've experienced. 
I've echoed in ways with the words of Psalm 109, verse 22, where the psalmist says, For I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken within me. In other words, it's like deep, deep down, there's this hurt. Has anybody experienced that this week? It just feels like this deep hurt within This is normal (laughs) when we experience such overwhelming moments of evil and fear. Not only when we are in the midst of these things ourselves, um, but this heart hurt (laughs) can also happen when a person close to us is experiencing these things. And all of us, we're in physical proximity of a lot of what has happened over the last week, and a lot of us have relational proximity with those who have been wounded or even killed. I want to frame our prayer movements today around the text of Nehemiah chapter 1, and if you've got your Bible, um, it may help. It, uh, this is not primarily a teaching day, but I don't know how to lead you in prayer apart from God's Word. And so, what I want to do today is actually lead us through the journey that Nehemiah himself had in the face of such brokenness. In Nehemiah chapter 1, and I'll start in, in verse 3, as Nehemiah at this particular moment in his life, it's like he flips on a news station, so to speak, and he, he hears news. He hears news of something that has gone horribly wrong. And the news flash comes on and says this, verse three, and they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now they're speaking here of Jerusalem. It says in verse four, as soon as he heard these words, I I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So newsflash, (laughs) Nehemiah gets word something horrific has happened in the city of Jerusalem, a city that he loves, a city where he knows people. An attack on the city. A group of attackers have come and they've torn down the city walls. What are city walls? Why is that so important? Well, they're the mechanism of safety. So what he's saying is, what the news flash comes on and says is like, the city's defenses have been torn down. They have been raided. They have been plundered. They have been attacked. People have been taken. People have been killed. And when Nehemiah hears the news, he's struck. Broken. 
wounded. As he hears about them, that's what he's hearing. These people are broken and they're wounded. But not only does he hear this and feel this pain for them, he's also feeling it within himself. He himself feels the brokenness and the woundedness. And in the immediate aftermath of what he hears, what he does, it says there in verse 4, is he, he deals honestly with his emotions. He just takes time to sit down and to cry. I'm not talking about a light cry. I'm talking about a good cry. Y'all know what I'm talking about. He wept and he mourned for days. He was honest about how he felt. There's a question that often comes in times like this, and it's probably not the first time that we've experienced pain in our life, but certainly in this week, I think there's been a lot of us asking the question, what do we do with all of our feelings? There are some people, even Christians, who would say, I saw it on Facebook this week, even from Christian people. Basically, don't, don't think about your feelings. Don't talk about your feelings. There are some who would say that we should just forget the past, just kind of sweep it under a rug, just ignore it, carry about your daily life. Some of us even this week maybe have tried to maintain strength on the outside, yet hiding the chaos and the complexity and confusion that we feel on the inside. Some would say that even feeling pain or admitting fear would be doubting God's promises. And as we move into this prayer time, this first prayer section, I just want to say to you, these things could not be further from the truth. God invites us to be honest with him about our emotions. The starting point of seeking God right now, today, is just to be completely honest with him about all the things that we feel. There's passages throughout the scripture, the Psalms, for instance, more Psalms are Psalms of lament than they are Psalms of praise. Count them up. Tell me if I'm wrong. More of them are songs where people are just crying out from the honesty of emotion. Psalm 13, one to two, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? How long must I have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long must my enemy be exalted over me? Psalm 42, verse seven, deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. 
In other words, I feel like I am knocked off of my feet emotionally and spiritually. Psalm 109, 22, which I read earlier. For I am poor and needy, and my heart hurts within me. It's stricken within me. This is why Psalm 62, verse 8, is so helpful to us because he says, Trust in him in all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him. In other words, bring the fullness of your emotion, your heart, before him, for God is a refuge for us. I could go through the Bible and not only talk to you about Nehemiah, but I could point to you to Hannah or Jonah or David or Peter or even Jesus himself in Matthew 26 when he's bringing his friends around him because his soul feels so crushed. The point is, friends, church family, that we have a God who invites us to be honest with him about all of our emotions and to name the truest feelings and the truest realities of our heart. He not only invites us, he wants us to do this. We can tell God how we feel, all of it. He already knows, so just talk to him about it. Do you have questions this week? God, I'm confused. I don't understand how, like, you're sovereign and yet this evil? Like, I don't understand this. Do you feel like he's absent? Do, do you wonder where he is? Do you, do you feel angry? Do you feel afraid? Do you have hatred in your heart for this city? Are you sick? Are you tired? Do you feel like running away? Are you questioning if it's good to stay? I, the emotions are going to be different for all of us, but I've heard as I've reached out, as our pastoral team has reached out, we know there are real emotions that are rising up when the news flash comes on and we hear about what is broken, what has been wounded. This is called a lament. In a lament, we're just simply going to God and we're telling God how we feel and even making a complaint. In Nehemiah, we see him doing this. And right now, as we move into this time of prayer, I'm actually going to invite you to just take some space and just Pour out your heart to God. I, I want you to name what is broken and wounded. I want you to name what you are grieving, what losses you are experiencing. Maybe it is a family member or a friend or a coworker or a neighbor. Maybe it is some other kind of loss physically, mentally, emotionally, trouble sleeping, or stomach aches, or anxiety, overreaction, or anger, the loss of stability, or the sense of safety, or the sense of freedom, or fearlessness when running alone. What are the things that you are feeling? Because Adam and Eve sinned, and all of us after them, sin is in the world. Brokenness is in the world. And grief is now a normal process as, a, as dealing with brokenness 
and dealing with loss, just going to God in honesty. It's normal and it's good. And in this time of prayer, here's what I want you to pray through. What is broken and wounded? First, in our community, name those things. I, I think for some of us, um, crises like this cause us to see things that are under the surface that have always been there, but it kind of rises to the top. Sometimes we put band-aids over things and we go, oh, but we have barbecue. Oh, but look at Overton Square. Oh, but have you seen the development? But friends, let, let's be honest. Sometimes we feel that we can ignore the brokenness and woundedness and pain that is around us. But weeks like this have brought it to the surface. What do you see in this community that is broken? And let's name it for what it is and go to God with it. But also in what ways, not only within our city, but secondly within, within you. What are those things that you just need to say, oh God, this is what I feel. We have a choice. Will we ignore it or will we do rightly with it and grieve it toward God? Psalm 62, 8 says, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him for he is a refuge for us. Our feelings are not the end of the journey, but they are beginning. We'll continue forward in our future sections, but right now, the starting place is for you, privately, personally, right now, as we come and play some music, and eventually we'll move back into worship, but in this space, to learn to pray and lament, to learn to be honest about what is broken, what is wounded, what you are grieving in our community and within your own heart. Let's pray together. This is time for you to pour out your heart to the Lord. Be honest. Tell him it all. As we continue forward in our desperation for God, we move to a section of hope. After we lament together, we lift our eyes to Jesus and we find reason for hope. See, in our desperation and need, we always always, as the people of God, call out to God. It is always our first reaction in crisis to pray, to depend on God, and to ask for God to do something that none of us, none of us can do for ourselves. It takes us coming to terms with like where we are but then it takes us going to God and saying, God, from where we are to where we know we need to be, God, I'm helpless. We are helpless apart from you. That's why that verse in Psalm 21 
2 rings so clearly, saying, my help comes from the Lord. Like the only way for my heart to be okay, <laughs> for, for our community to see restoration is for you, God. And that's why we've come together today for a day of prayer. I'll call your attention to Nehemiah chapter 1, where we left off in verse 4. After Nehemiah hears news and he is honest about his emotions, he sits, he cries for days. He does come to a place where we see him calling out to the Lord. In verse 5 we read, And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you. And we have not kept commandments, statutes, and rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong Nehemiah moves from being overwhelmed with his emotion to, say, to saying in personal and specific way, God, we need you here now. And today, as we continue our time of prayer, we need to do the same. I want to point your attention to what Nehemiah's basis for hope was because it's also our basis for hope. Nehemiah in his prayer is saying, God, I know who you are. He's hoping in God's character, a great God of heaven, awesome God, a promise-keeping God, a loving God, a faithful God, a God who keeps covenant, a God who is committed to his people. God, I know who you are. You are able. You are loving, you are listening, you are attentive, you are caring, you are faithful, you are good. I'm hoping, not because of who I am, but God, because of who you are, his character. Secondly, he's hoping in God's grace and forgiveness. How do we have hope in such darkness and such, in the face of such evil? <laughs> Aren't you grateful? that our God is the forgiver of iniquity and transgression and sin. Nehemiah knew 
that the brokenness that he was seeing ultimately came from the brokenness that was in people. <laughs> Nehemiah was so keenly aware of this brokenness in people because he knew of his own brokenness. And Nehemiah, a basis of his hope is he goes, I have sinned. It's not just our, our, our city's a mess, but even my and my father's house, we, we are a mess, God. And we need, we need your forgiveness. I confess my sin and I confess the sins of our city. We are a broken and sinful people and we need you, God. We need hope. But my hope is in that you are a forgiver, that you are a grace giver, that you are a restorer. And then Nehemiah appeals thirdly to God's promises and covenants. He says, God, I, I know you, do you remember he even reminds God of his own promise? Do you remember God, you said this? But, but if we return, you said this? <laughs> and he's holding God to his promise. He's saying, God, I, I know you and I know your heart. And I know your words, the commitments you have made, and God, because of that, I hope in you. God, I'm believing you on your promise, and that even now, these promises of restoration might come to be because, God, you said that if we come back to you with our whole hearts, God, that you, that you will give grace. And fourth, he calls on God's eternal redemptive purposes. He reminds God, God, this is about something bigger than just this moment. God, your name is attached to your people. And God, work this out for your glory so all might see who you are. You're a redemptive God. And you're God who oversees history. In this moment, would you bring restoration and brokenness so that all might know you? Church, as we go to the Lord and we continue to pray today, I want to encourage you that this, this is our basis of hope. As we pray today, we have opportunity to call out to God for who he is, for the grace that he gives and the forgiveness that he gives in Jesus Christ, for the promises that he has made, the covenants that he will keep, and the eternal redemptive purposes that are yes and amen because of Jesus. And I want to remind you, friends, that ultimately when we talk about hope, I know there's been a lot of talk of hope in the city in the last few days, Facebook posts, news articles, not just here but all over the country. But friends, for us as the people of God, we know this, that ultimately the basis of our hope is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. The basis of our hope is not a social program the basis of our hope is not us trying to light enough candles and go for a run together to finish Eliza's run, although that was a beautiful act. The basis of our hope is not how much activism we can stir up on Facebook. The basis of our hope is not getting out of town. I'm not saying that any of these particular things are good nor bad. I'm just saying that we have to remember we are the people of God and we know true hope and true hope has a name and his name is Jesus. 
Jesus is our anchor. And this is not to minimize grief. I've just, in the last section, told you we have to be honest about our grief, our feelings of brokenness and woundedness. This is not to minimize it. It's just to say that in the midst of it, we have hope. Jesus stood with Martha and Mary by the tomb of his dear friend, Lazarus. He stood there with them, weeping, totally undone. And yet he stood there with them, saying, but we have hope. Hope in God. He stood there speaking of the promise of redemption and life after death for those who believe. In Jesus, friends, we have hope and a model for what it looks like for God to be present in the midst of pain, in the midst of the world's brokenness. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he will live, and everyone who believes in me shall never die. And then he asked you what he asked them. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that God will bind up the brokenhearted, that he will comfort those who mourn, that he will give a garland instead of ashes, that he will anoint with oil of gladness instead of mourning? Do you believe it? Do you believe what Jesus says in John 16? That He says, I've said these things to you that you may have peace. Sure hasn't felt like peace this past week. But he speaks of something deeper than circumstance, friends. He speaks of something much deeper. In the midst of the world's brokenness and chaos and pain, he says, I give you peace. In this world, he says, you will have tribulation. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus We know that God is working all things. I've prayed a lot for the city this week, and one of the verses that's come to mind is I have prayed, 2 Peter 3, 9. I've been mixed prayers because in some ways I'm just like, Lord, can you give me, can you rescue? Can you just come today? Can we just get a lifeboat and sail out of the city? Anybody But yet I go, oh, but God, thank you that you don't want any to perish, but that you desire all to reach repentance. God, there's, a, there's an eternal redemption here. There's a, there's a thread that you're working. And God, even though it is, feels slow and hard right now that you have not come more quickly, that this has not ended I also have hope knowing, God, that there is a story, a story of redemption that God is writing, and I trust him, and you can too. Because in the end, Revelation 21 teaches us that the one who's seated on the throne, Jesus, will cry out one day, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write it down, for these words are trustworthy and true.
I want to spend the bulk of what we do today in this next section of prayer because right now I just want you to, I, we need to as a church, and this is not, this is just a raw moment for us as a people of God. I'm not asking you uh, to pray. I'm not going to put a list up here and say pray these things. <laughs> but I am saying to you, we, we need to pray. We need to pray for this city. And I'm not talking about praying just to be heard praying. I'm talking about deep cries of the heart. Jesus tells us in Matthew, some people who want to, be, who want to pray nice big prayers to be heard, to be commended, but I'm telling you, just pray from your heart. I'm summarizing here. But Jesus said, just go into your closet and just pray. Pray from your heart. God hears those prayers. So right now in this time, what I want for us to do is just to spend some time praying. We have a basis for hope in God's character, in his grace and forgiveness, in his promise and covenant, and in his eternal redemptive purpose. And like I said, his name is Jesus. Look at Jesus stepping into brokenness. Look at hope in the midst of pain. Look at his finished work on the cross to, be, to put sin and brokenness and even death itself away. Look at his burial in the grave and his triumphant resurrection from the dead. He lives today and he reigns and he will come again. Look to Jesus. We do have hope. So we don't cry out just with words and phrases. We cry out knowing we have a living Savior, a Redeemer, a restorer, a healer, a rescuer, a hope giver, a promise keeper. We have a God who listens to the cries of his people and actively responds. So we're going to pray. Um, the way this is going to work is if you'd like to pray by yourself, you are totally fine to pray by yourself. Spend time in specific ways with the things that the Holy Spirit puts on your heart. Praying with the specific needs that he puts on your mind and in your heart. Maybe it's for families. Maybe it's for justice systems. Maybe it's for schools. Maybe it's for the youth of our city. Maybe it is for safety and protection. Maybe it is for the church. Whatever it is that God puts on your heart, connect those needs that the Holy Spirit speaks to you with his character, with his grace and forgiveness, his work in Jesus, with his promise and with his eternal redemption, and cry out to God on the basis of that, to Jesus, our hope. If you came with somebody else today and you feel comfortable praying with them, or even if you know some people around you, feel free to gather somebody else or two around you and pray in a group, okay? Um, but this is for all of us a time just to call out to God and to ask him, even as we're praying, to be working in ways that we could never. And I believe, I really believe, Things will change because of this time of prayer, even our prayers, joining with other Christians across this city. There are things that God will do because we pray today. So pray in that kind of hope and confidence because we know that he hears. All right, so let's do that now.
as we move to close our time of prayer in this third section, we move to discuss what's next. And we've named this as a time of prayer because I do think it needs prayer. I think so often in our lives we, as a people of God, are tempted to quickly react. But one of the things that happens when we walk with the Lord is we learn to wait on Him. We learn to get direction from Him. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11, the very last verse of the chapter that we're considering is framing. I, what I hope is not just today's time of prayer, but I hope these three sections and this passage may help you in this next week and in weeks to come to frame how you process and how you pray and even how you move forward. But as we get to the last verse, after Nehemiah prays, and I do want to help you to know that this time of prayer for Nehemiah, weeping and prayer was not just like a day, like an hour, like what we're doing right now. One of the things that we were concerned about even hosting a time of prayer like this, we're not concerned to host it, it's the right thing to do, but one of the concerns that we have is that you think that this time of prayer is like all the weeping and the waiting and that we need to do and the praying we need to do, and it's just not. Verse 4 describes how Nehemiah postured himself in weeping and in prayer for months over this specific tragedy. And it would be appropriate, it's needed right for us as the church to not quickly move on from posturing ourselves in lament and in hope, and in even what we're about to discuss about what's next. But in verse 11, after Nehemiah has prayed and prayed and prayed into his grief and prayed into God's promise, it says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And then he says something curious. Nehemiah says, and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And then he goes on to describe the man that he's praying about because Nehemiah says, now I was cupbearer to the king. What's interesting is that as Nehemiah has wept and lamented, as he's prayed and hoped, he gets to a point in his prayer where he's saying, and God, would you use me? Like, I'm crying out, God, for, for what only you could do. And truly, only you could do it. I'm asking God for hope. I'm asking God for an answer. I'm asking for a restoration in this broken situation. But God, I'm also 
recognizing that I'm placed in a particular position. And, and God, I'm willing. I'm willing to not shrink back in fear, but God, I'm stepping forward in faith to offer you myself. Nehemiah is recognizing he's in a position where in his particular place and his particular time with his particular position, he, he can step forward and just express willingness and God potentially might be pleased to grant favor is what Nehemiah is praying for such that he could be a part of what God is doing. And if you read the rest of the story, it's quite remarkable because God does bring restoration and the broken situation of Jerusalem. And amazingly, God allows Nehemiah to be a part of what he's doing. Nehemiah does step forward in chapter 2. And even as he has an opportunity to, to take a risk and to talk to the king about something that could, the king maybe could help with in this whole thing, Nehemiah is praying, oh God, would you do it? Oh God, would you do it? And, and, and the king answers Nehemiah's request and Nehemiah ends up being a big part of, of this story, this story of restoration. I, I, there's no way I could tell you where do we go from here as a community, as a city, as a church, in your life, that's not what I'm here to do today, and that's not in any way anything that I would presume to, to know and predict. But what I do know, I want to gr- help ground this final section of prayer, and that is God is there for us. We know that, friends. And we also know that God calls us to be there for others, to extend him to others. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort others who are in their affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Verse 5 and 6, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. What he's saying to us is, do you, do you recognize that the comfort that you have received is meant for you? Yes. But it is also meant that Christ might care for others through you. That you might be a fragrant aroma of Christ in our broken world. That you might, through your own understanding of true hope, Jesus Christ, that you might also extend his hope to others. Rosaria Butterfield writes, who else but Christians can make redemptive sense of tragedy? Who else could see hope in the promises of God when real lived circumstances look dire? Where else but a Christian home should neighbors go in time of unprecedented crisis? Where else is it safe to be vulnerable Scared, lost, and hopeless. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says to us, you are the salt of the earth. 
But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And then he goes on and says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Yesterday at the funeral of Eliza Fletcher, George Robertson, who's a brother in Christ, a friend of mine here in our city, said, Fletcher didn't have to have the resume of a world changer as we count world changers. Though she was born into a wealthy family, she struggled through school. She did not join the family business. But over the last week, millions around the world have followed her story, mourned her loss, and seen testimonies of her faith. A video of Fletcher singing this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine to her students at St. Mary's Episcopal School during COVID has garnered thousands of views. George said, God has designed this world in such a way that darkness, no matter how deep, can be pierced by the tiniest light. On November 8, 1987, a light was born, and her light was Jesus Christ. It is right to grieve, he said, but let's not grieve without hope. Let's carry on the legacy of our dear sister. Let's obey her commandment, sung out to us quite out of pitch, he said. He went on to conclude by saying, but now she sings in perfect harmony. And she says, don't hide your light under a bushel. No, let your light shine. Come to Jesus. Keep coming to Jesus as she did and let your light shine. The question for us as the people of God who know hope Jesus Christ, is will you hide your light or will you let it shine? And will you allow your faith in Christ to continue to be the framework for your decision making? Listen to what I'm saying because I want you to pray into this as we close. Will you allow the gospel to be your framework for decision-making. We're not people of reaction. We're not people who run away. We're people who follow the call of God. And God might call you away, but God might call you to remain. And whether you go or whether you stay, we are Christ. We are the Lord's. We know hope, and we have been appointed because of His presence in us and calling upon us to be the light of the world. Will we allow the gospel to be the framework for how we make our decisions? And will we allow the Lord to lead us, not our flesh, not our friends who call us and say, get out of that hellhole, not the fear-mongering of news. Will we allow the Lord to lead us and to sustain us in the midst of where he has called us? In Jeremiah 29, a people in the midst of brokenness and a place that felt messy, that did not feel like home. 
God in the midst of Babylon says to his people Israel, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For us as a church, I want it to be said of us that we keep trusting and moving toward Jesus and we keep shining the light of Jesus wherever he has called us. Wherever you live and the workplace that you're in, on the campus where you work, with the calling that you've received, the skills that you have, the opportunities that are before you, this place that God has planted us, even if it's just for a time, let's seek the welfare of the city by shining the light of Jesus. Amen? So right now, what I want you to do is to pray. As we close our time of worship, this is our last time of prayer, and then we will celebrate communion and be dismissed. But right now, I just want you to pray. I want you to ask that question to the Lord. God, what is next for me? He may not answer you today, but I want you to wait on him until he does so that you can continue to trust Christ in the place where he's called you and continue to shine brightly for his name. And you can go and make that commitment. God, wherever you call me, I'll remain. And wherever you've planted me, I will live to make you known. Because who else, who else can speak of redemption and hope other than us who know Jesus Christ? Let's commit to the Lord that wherever he calls us and plants us, we will remain with trust and we will shine brightly so that all may know him. Let's pray. Thank you again for joining us for today's Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis. We want to encourage you to join us in person for worship soon. No podcast can ever replace the good design of God in gathering in person with other believers for worship in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with ICC, you can visit us at iccmemphis.com. As we close, we offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.